You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Where were you on June 22nd, 2023? You'll be asking that question for years and years to come. Good afternoon and welcome into the final edition of Crunch Time with me, Gaz Mesh, right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. And it is your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Matt Miguez here. LSU needed one more win to cap off the inevitable. And they did. A 2 nothing bottom of the 11th walk-off from, yeah, yeah, you guessed it, Tommy White absolutely obliterated a baseball into left field to give the Tigers their first trip to the SEC, the College World Series Championship Series since 2017. There it is. There it is. My producer and co-host is Mr. James Mesh. James, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Oh, how about them Tigers, ball? Look, man, you know, for the first six innings, I'm not going to lie, I was a little skeptical <laughs> because Rhett Louder was, was thrashing that LSU lineup. They could not figure him out. No, could not, not at all. Could not figure him out. They got a single here, uh, a bloop play that turned into a double there. But nobody was crossing the plate, and nobody was coming up with plays to get those base runners home. And so you really – and luckily for you – Paul Skeens gave up a couple hits, but again, never amounted to anything. Was the first time that a men's college World Series game was scoreless after nine innings since 1985. It had been almost 40 years. Fun fact, LSU has been to the College World Series 19 times. And they've all been since the last time that there was a nine-inning scoreless game. The first appearance came in 1986. So that that just goes to, to show you uh, how, how long it's been since the game went into extra innings with a score of zero to zero. But as we as we all should remember, it almost wasn't zero to zero going into the bottom of the ninth. In the top of the eighth inning, a Wake Forest player Merrick Houston laid down a bunt towards the first base bag. And Trey Morgan came in and probably made the play of his life. Here's the call from Chris Blair. Skeens 0-1, looking to bunt down the first baseline. Morgan will get it, up to get it to Malazzo. Tag applied, he's out at home. Trey Morgan sprinting down the first baseline. Gloved it, an option pitch to Malazzo, standing at the plate, and Johnson is out. Let's go. What a play right there by Trey Morgan. Let's go. It, it was that, that was huge. That was one of those plays where obviously now that you won the game, that play is gonna be etched in history. Immortalized forever. Oh yeah. If you ended up losing that game, it loses a little bit of its luster. 
It's still a big play. You, right. You look at it like this was a this was a really nice play, but at the end of the day, it's like it didn't amount to anything right. because you got eliminated. Now pictures will be hung of Trey Morgan making the flip in, in the facility. Like that is a play that will be immortalized forever in LSU baseball history. And then you go to the eleventh. And Thatcher Hurd comes in in the ninth, pitches three innings of great baseball, uh, backed up Paul Skeens beautifully last night. And then again, in the bottom of the bottom of the 11th, Dylan Cruz leads it off with a single to left field. You bring in Camden Manassi. Yeah, you, you remember that guy. You, you, you remember. Who, who can beat us? Who, who can beat us? He said that in a post-game press conference after LSU fell to Wake Forest the first time. Who can beat us? You know, it, it seems, you know, pretty much impossible. Who can beat us? You know, it, it seems, you know, pretty much impossible. So he comes in. We talked about bulletin board material the other day and how important it was for Wake Forest to not do that. And uh, so Tommy White steps up with a runner on first. And, well, we'll let Chris Blair tell you how it went. First base. And Camden Manassi is ready to go. The right-hander facing the right-handed hitting Tommy White. Manassi leans in now. Comes set. Rocks and fires. Tommy White listen for Dan deep to left field. Costello to the wall. Hit the Walk it off. Tommy White. Home run number 23. And LSU is moving on. Wake Forest is headed home. Tommy White down the third base line. Gets showered and mobbed at home plate. Two to nothing. LSU here at the bottom of the 11th inning. To the plate with the best two hitters on the team, best two hitters in the country. Dylan Cruz with a base hit to left. Tommy White goes deep to left field. And LSU celebrating as they will move on to take on Florida. Look, man, whether you're an LSU fan or not, what an incredible college baseball game. I, I mean, People have posted tweets since last night. You're going to remember where you were. They're right. You will 100% remember where you were, who you were with, and what you were doing when Tommy White walked it off last night. I was calling your Kane Cutters baseball game. That also ended in a walk-off. A walk-off victory for the Kane Cutters. Dude, they were down 8-3. to three. Came back and won a nine to eight. You had yourself a hell of a night, me guys. Yeah, it was it was solid. It, it was not a bad Thursday night. Um, and then the Pelicans took Jordan Hawkins. <laughs> Love that. We'll talk about that later. Um, later on in the show. So, this is the final crunch time. Now, I've I've gotten a, a lot of people talking about what's next for me. I'm not going to be on air. 
that that's been that's been established. But I am staying with what will be ESPN 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. I'm going to move into a new role where my focus will be social media, YouTube. I'm going to be hosting a brand new podcast that's going to air three days a week. A lot, lot of the blogs. A lot, lot more blogs, a lot more articles. Basically not, just a content creator. I'm not going anywhere. You, you thought you could get rid of me that easily. I'm going to be popping in and out on shows. I will be filling in when people need, need a day off. Like I said, Miguez isn't going anywhere. It would be it would be much harder to get rid of me. Believe me, I'm like a I'm I'm like a gnat, just kind of sticks around and doesn't go anywhere. James knows, he's worked with me over the last year. I ignore the hell out of him every single day. <laughs> you get it right back though. <laughs> I, yes, yes, I do. You get it right back. I absolutely do. Um, but look, we'll we'll share the the pleasantries and the and the sad moment in about an hour and 45 minutes. We don't have to deal with that right now. Uh, your calls on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. We're broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. So now LSU advances to the championship series where they will meet the Florida Gators. Now, the Florida Gators have not lost yet in Omaha. All three of their wins have come by one run, and they haven't played since Wednesday morning. So they are well rested. Now, sometimes you can look at that as a disadvantage because sometimes it's better to be in a rhythm than to be rested. James, where what side of the fence in that theory do you lie on? I get the theory of you don't want to like sit on your butt too long. But here's the thing. If you are a well-prepared team and you're a coach like you would be coaching the Florida Gators and you know where you're at, it's the same thing with the Denver Nuggets, what we saw with the Miami Heat. I don't care that it, it had been over a week for the Nuggets. Because I, I knew that they were going to come in game one and they were just going to put on a show. I think it's going to be the same thing with Florida. Like Even though they haven't played since Wednesday, I don't think they're going to miss a beat. I think they're going to come in right like they were against their bracket, against TCU and company. And I think they're going to win ultimately game one because Jacques Caglione is going to be ready. Would mm-hmm. he not be? Yeah. I mean, he's had plenty of rest. So with him being out there, I, f- I feel like with him coming out there, everyone's well-rested. Everyone pretty much as healthy for the Gators. It feels like it's going to be a tough matchup to start this championship series for LSU. I would imagine that Hurston Waldrop pitches game one on Saturday. And then then from there, I mean, it's really... The, the thing that's going to be so incredibly interesting about the Florida Gators is they have great pitching. Up and down. Waldrop... It has been a big player for them so far this year. You brought up Jack Coglione, the the Shohei Otani of 2023 college baseball. I mean, the guy can really just do it all. And then, I mean, offensively, I mean, what more can you say about White Langford? 
I can't tell you how many baseball analysts I've heard say, if it wasn't for Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens, White Lankford would be the number one pick. Like, he is that guy. 363 average, 19 homers, 49 RBIs. He's got a slugging percentage of 758, an OPS of 1.251. I mean, those numbers jump off at you. Uh, but when you look at pitching, Jack Coglione, we, we talked about him, 17 appearances on the season, 73 and one-thirds innings. Hurston Waldrop, Brandon Spratt. Um, I mean, you've got guys. Ryan Slater is another name to look out for as a guy that could start for the Florida Gators this weekend. They have a, a slew of guys that can make an impact. Now, one thing that's going to be interesting, though, James, their lowest ERA from a starting pitcher, a regularly starting pitcher, is 3.68 in Cagliano. Now, 3.68 is not a bad ERA. But it's not a very, it's not great. It's not bad. It's average. Uh, but I mean, and, and look, I hate to compare it to Paul Skeens, but Paul Skeens has a sub-2 ERA. All right, we're talking about one of the best players in the country. Like, so 3.68, I'm, I'm starting to think that LSU might be able to put up some runs on this Florida pitching staff. So that'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see how Florida's defense and their offense as well, uh, who can absolutely rake in, in 2023. Uh, we'll see what their offense can do against LSU's pitching. I mean, come on, 136 home runs on the year. That's insane. Uh, so th it'll be some fireworks this weekend. First game Saturday at 6 o'clock, pregame at 5.30. Sunday will be at 2, pregame at 1.30. And then Monday is currently to be determined. Uh, we will we will see if Monday is even necessary, and we'll go from there. We'll take a time out here, 4-16 on your Friday when we return. Hear from Jay Johnson following that monumental win last night right here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you were looking for great deals, then look no further than AcadianaDeals.com. Plenty of two-for-one deals available right now, including a $30 voucher to La Hacienda for only $15, a $15 voucher to Pizza Artista for only $7.50, and a $40 voucher to Misfits Dine and Drink for only $20. Once again, head to AcadianaDeals.com to take advantage of these deals and so many more. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time 420. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. And as a reminder, here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the simulcast, Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. Sheesh! Sheesh! <laughs> Jay Johnson met with the media following the 2-0 walk-off win last night. And here is the Tigers head coach opening statement. Yeah, a couple things. Um, sorry for the delay. Uh, it's one of the greatest moments of my life, honestly. Um, number one. Number two, 
Um, couldn't be proud of, more proud of our team. I think that uh, exemplifies the talent on this roster, uh, but more importantly, the character and the people. And as I look to my left, I just see three great players that are better people than they are players. Um, the best pitched college baseball game I have ever seen from both sides. Um, obviously, what Paul did was spectacular. Uh, what Thatcher did was spectacular. Um, you know, you might see four pitchers that were on that mound tonight um, from both teams that will pitch in Major League Baseball All-Star Games. And um, hat tip to Coach Walter and Wake Forest. I mean, we just slayed a giant tonight, um, and that was special. And lastly, like, look to my left. If you're one of the best players in the transfer portal, there's only one place to come play because uh, last summer I spent a lot of time with these young men, and I think they would tell you they made the right choice. So um, I'd want to join forces with them if, if they're out there. Looking at LSU, you know, he, he brought up if you're a kid in the transfer portal, look, LSU across all sports has done the transfer portal better than anybody. I mean, look what Kim Mulkey's done with, with women's basketball. She brings in Angel Reese. She brings in Jasmine Carson. You bring in Alexis Morris. You win a national championship. This offseason, you lose players like Alexis Morris. You lose Jasmine Carson. How do you replenish? Well, you go get Haley Van Lith and Anissa Morrow. LSU football, you bring in Jaden Daniels, you bring in Kyron Lacey, you bring in talented players that can make an impact for you. And in Brian Kelly's first season, he's 10-2 and and plays in the SEC Championship game. Jay Johnson, you bring in Tommy White, you bring in Paul Skeens. You're playing for a College World Series Championship Series in those guys' first year in Baton Rouge. LSU has done the transfer portal better than anybody in America. So we joke all the time that LSU football is DBU or it's wide receiver U. Might as well call the whole school transfer portal U because they do it better. TPU transfer TPU, portal. Absolutely. They, I mean, they do it. Name me a school that has used the transfer portal better than LSU. Alabama's pretty up there. But I mean, of course. In all the sports? Across all sports. Oh, okay, across all sports. Who's done it better? Can't really think of anyone off top. Exactly. Exactly. Let's go to the game hotline. T, what's going on? What's up, Matt? How are you, sir? Good, good, man. Look, I just wanted to say uh, I know you're off to bigger and better things, but I'm really going to miss you on the air, man. I appreciate that, T. No, it's for real. I know, I know. <laughs> And I and I and I re- and I really appreciate it. I do. I know you do. Thank you. Well, I'm sitting around with a bunch of buddies at the camp in Pecan Island, and they want to see Paul Skeens Monday. Yeah. So I'm like, "What? We're not going to Monday, bro." <laughs> oh, T. T. We're going and, and go oh, home. Oh, T. We're going to Monday. You think? Oh, we're going to Monday. Not if I'll back get back to what they were during the season. I hope. I mean, I hope you're right. I'd I'd like to see them go two and zero and be done. But Florida's damn good. They're gonna get a game. No, no, you lied to me. 
that you're a broadcaster and stuff. Y'all want that game Monday <laughs> so you'll have something to talk about, buddy. <laughs> no, I, I would much rather on, on my first episode of my new podcast talk about the fact that LSU is a national champion. Oh, my God. I'll surely look into it for sure. Yeah, I mean I, that that would be that would there wouldn't be a better first episode than recapping the fact that LSU is a national champion. Wow, you're right. Well, look, man, love your show, buddy, and uh, let's go, Tigers. Appreciate you, man. Oh God, there there's there's not many people better than T. That that guy's fantastic. Um, Jay Johnson also discussed the idea behind keeping Thatcher Hurd in the game late. Well, we didn't have anybody warming up. We had Gavin playing light toss. That is one of the best college teams I've, I've seen in a long time. I mean, not just this year. They had a, one of the most remarkable seasons I've ever seen. But that pitching staff, in my opinion, has seven guys that will pitch in the major league someday. Seven. I mean, that's, that's a lot. And uh, they're really, really hard to deal with. Um, it was... Uh, there was a funnel of pitchers that were going to be available today. And, um, you know, we wanted to get Paul as long as we could. I'm really proud of him for getting us through eight. Um, I think it took that to win the game, honestly. And then there was only there was only one guy that was going to get the ball after that. And um, we would have used him to close the game uh, last night if we needed to. I didn't want to do that because I knew he would be needed today. And it, it gave him an extra day after Monday. And he was spectacular. I think there was... There was one walk, and there was only one three-ball count the entire time he was on the mound. So a couple things related to, to LSU baseball that I've seen on social media that I just think are awesome. Number one, Chris Blair posted on Twitter about two hours ago. He said, I went down to the hotel lobby last night to celebrate with hundreds of LSU baseball fans. The hotel didn't have any live music on a Thursday night, but no worries. An LSU fan brought his own trumpet to Omaha and cranked out the LSU fight song. Reason 2,143,000 why I love being at LSU. Yeah. Of of course an LSU fan brought his trumpet to Omaha to bust out the fight song. That is... That's so fitting. Um, Also, this isn't about LSU. This is more about Tennessee. But in the SEC baseball, how about Tennessee spending $100 million dollars to renovate Lindsey Nelson Stadium up in Knoxville. That's huge. And that shows a major commitment to Tony Vitello and volunteer baseball. That's critical for not only the success of Tennessee, but really the betterment of SEC baseball as a whole. Uh, so that's awesome to see. And then lastly, uh, our RP3 and I spent the morning down in Tibido, down on the bayou for the Manning Passing Academy. And... <laughs> Apparently, Thibodeau is legitness if you if you've never been. Uh, but anyways, Peyton Manning was asked about LSU baseball and Paul Skeens. Apparently, t- Peyton, apparently Peyton recruited Paul Skeens to go to Tennessee before he came to LSU. It says I gave him a call when he came to Knoxville. I used to have a pretty good closing rate, so it was tough. Well, what was the recruiting pitch? Well, it's obviously not worth repeating. Okay. Uh, okay, Peyton. Um, but yeah, the, the, the Manning Passing Academy w- was fantastic. We, we got to interview Drake May and Quinn Ewers 
and Michael Penix Jr. and Jaden Daniels and Louisiana's Ben Wooldridge, and it was a great time. Will Rogers. Will Rogers from Mississippi State. Uh, got got to run into a lot of our friends. Chris Gordy from from Locked On SEC was there. Uh, Chrissy Freud was there. We, we had a good time. Michael Dettelier, Sheldon Mickles, Glenn Gilbo. There, there were everybody was out. I we missed a, out. You, you missed out. I missed out. We That's... had a we had a good time. Um, Chrissy told me to tell you hi. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Look, hey, it's the last show. We're going to cut up and have some fun. Uh, lastly, though, Tommy White. You serious? You serious? <laughs> Tommy White gave his thoughts on his walk-off home run. Yeah, so I was definitely going for heater. Um, I thought a heater was coming, but um, I was very amped up, and I saw a slider that was up, and I could get my bat head to it, so that was about it. I mean, short, sweet, to the point. Cat was looking for a fastball. He saw an elevated slider and said, "Hmm, I'll give it a shot. Why not? Let me let me we see. Got if a I couple outs to spare, right? Let me see if I can get my bat in front of it. And, and you know, I didn't realize it in the moment, but when when I saw highlights, that was Camden Manassi's first pitch. Yeah, that's why it was poetic justice for him to come out. Cat threw one pitch, and that's all he needed. It was the same thing with what we saw with Gavin Gidry. It was like, oh, you gave up a." Uh, Give a couple runs on that one pitch. Uh, Ooh, yeah. let's uh, let, let, let's call that a night. And uh, Paul Skeens and Tommy White both talked about the run-saving defensive play by their first baseman Trey Morgan. Um, I think he showed everyone in the country that he's the most athletic first baseman out there. Um, <clears throat> I, to be honest, I saw him lay the bunt down, and Trey kind of just came flying in and made the play, picked me up. Tommy. Yeah, as soon as I saw the bunt, like the angle of the bat, I knew it was going to first. And um, I didn't see Trey. I was like, oh, God, they're going to score. And then he came flying out of nowhere, and Malazzo put a great tag on. So that was pretty awesome. We'll take a timeout. Koki Riley of the Daily Advertiser joins us next. He was in the press box last night for Tommy White's walk off hit. We'll get his thoughts and a preview of the championship series next. This is Crunch Time. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back, 436. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Again, LSU taking down Wake Forest last night, two to nothing to advance to their first championship series in 2017. Do you remember who they played in that 2017 championship series? Oh, yeah, that's right. The Florida Gators. And they're playing the Florida Gators yet again. First pitch, 6 o'clock. Tomorrow evening, Koki Riley was in Omaha last night. Koki, good afternoon, sir. How the hell are you? Doing great. How's it going, Matt? Oh, fantastic, sir. Fantastic. So, you know, obviously you don't expect... To, to be in, in a stadium of 25,000 people when a when a moment like that happens. But uh, what, what did you witness last night? Um, I witnessed one of the best baseball games I've probably ever seen. Um, just an incredible matchup between two guys who will almost certainly make the major leagues at some point in their careers. Um, two guys who will likely be very good pitchers at the major league level. 
uh, two bona fide aces, starters, whatever you want to call them. And it was just an absolute masterpiece from, from both uh, Rhett Louder and Paul Skeens last night, especially given that both these guys were on short rest, um, especially given the lineups they were facing. I know Skeens is, the, the lineup Skeens faced wasn't quite as potent as the lineup Louder faced, but they were still both fantastic nevertheless. And, um, yeah, I, I was just absolutely enthralled by that pitching matchup. And then for Thatcher Hurd and – um, even even like even the likes of uh, Wake Forest believers last night, Michael Massey, like even Camden Manassi until he finally gave up two run home run. Like those guys were fantastic as well. It's just the pitching was absolutely elite. Um, the ballpark had a lot to do that with that, obviously, but um, it, the talent was obviously there, and uh, it just one at at some point something had to crack, right? And, um, that that final that that. That, that final crack was uh, that Tommy, Tommy White swing in the 11th inning that turned into a two-run home run and um, sends LSU to the College World Series final, uh, just as we all predicted uh, three or four days ago, right? Right, right. No, absolutely. Uh, you know, the other thing that jumps out about this game is, is, you know, we talk about this game being scoreless headed into extra innings. Well, well it almost wasn't. Uh, that beautiful flip of the glove from Trey Morgan to Alex Malazzo. Just kind of talk about that moment and, and how it's going to be immortalized in LSU history forever. Yeah, I mean, Trey Morgan did a fantastic job of sort of um, anticipating that play, figuring that they could bunt there at the, in that spot, which, I mean, made some sense, right? Uh, Marek Houston, who was the uh, who is the, the Wake Forest shortstop, he was the number nine hitter in that uh, at, at the plate. When he had the number nine hitter at the plate, um, with one out and runners in the corners, I, I think a bunt is a pretty good guess as to what they're going to do, especially in a scoreless game, right? So uh, Trey Morgan took that risk. Um, and when you have a runner at third, you want to bunt, uh, bunt it toward the first baseline. That, that, that definitely just to put those with the first baseman into conflict. And um, Morgan made the right choice by charging after that ball. And uh, he, he makes the play, shovels it over to Malazzo, makes a perfect tag to tag out Johnson, the runner, and um, it, it, they kept the game scoreless and it gave this team a chance to play for a national championship. It, it's that simple. And it's not for that play. They're not here. Um, I, I, it would have been trouble. It, it would have been hard to, to, to see them score um, a run in the bottom of the eighth and the bottom of the ninth, just given the way that the game was going. One run um, was probably going to determine uh, the winner of that game, and uh, they, they got it. Now, Paul, you brought up the pitching matchup. Obviously, Paul Skeens and Rhett Lauder were both phenomenal. But talk about Jay Johnson's decision to go with Paul Skeens last night rather than maybe holding him for a potential championship series. You know, did did he talk about that in the postgame press conference? Did he struggle with that decision-making? I don't think he did. Um uh, I, I, I actually know he didn't because he talked about at the end of, the, of in his post game press conference last night how um, I, I think it was after I'm pretty sure it was just after the wake the first Wake Forest loss and um, he 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 wrote he wrote down each day on the whiteboard you know Tuesday Wednesday Thursday etc and and sort of wrote down the names of who could be pitching and, and sort of laid it out very simply clearly that. Their goal is to get to Thursday so Paul could pitch. Um, and so it's really – so as much 
you know, consternation and debate and even debate within myself as to how much and if he could even pitch on four days rest on Thursday. There was no question in this team's mind that that was going to happen. And they kind of had a North Star and something to shoot for. Um, and, and, and they certainly got there and they got the ball, Paul, and he did his thing. It's pretty, it's, it's that simple. So, um, yeah, I don't think it was any debate in their, in their minds that they were going to throw him. Um, as for me and even some other media members, I mean, I, I've been on this radio station and said that I didn't think he would pitch that much um, just because that's short rest. Uh, they haven't really tried that this season. Like, how much do you want to risk this kid's future after he threw 120, right. what, 123 pitches in his first game? But, you know, they're just going for it. And, um, and, and I, I, I'm not to even mention to save him or not to save him for the Florida series for a potential Florida series, I should say. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's really remarkable what he's done. And the crazy thing is like the weather looks pretty bad for tomorrow and theoretically say if they didn't play the game tomorrow and they had, and they play a game three of this series against Florida, he could come back. Correct. Like, it's not impossible, right? Like, Correct. Not a lot of people have talked about this, but it is, it's not, his season might not, somehow might not be over. And maybe LSU wins two games and doesn't, wins the next two games, it doesn't matter. Uh, given how well they've pitched, that wouldn't shock me. Um, but yeah, it's just Paul, he's, you can't underestimate him, um, especially now. He is, he has cemented himself into rarefied air in terms of, uh, one season, uh, one season of greatness at LSU. No matter the sport, really. You know, you, you look at LSU, and and people like to to make the joke, and it's kind of become a mantra with the fan base that Omaha is Baton Rouge North. How special has it been for the last week to see Omaha be flooded with purple and gold? Yeah, it's been really cool to see just how many LSU fans are here. And when you go to Rocco's, which is the uh, famous Jello shot. Um, restaurants just across the street from here. I mean, LSU LSU fans are the are out of all the fan bases. They're they're the loudest and um, the most vocal there by far. And uh, the ballpark, you can tell that you know most of the fans there, if they are a fan of a team, which there are a lot of neutral fans who go to these games, which is why it's probably not quite as loud as the box. Um, but uh, it, it they're all they're they're mostly LSU fans and. Um, it's really, it's not really even a conversation as to like who has the most fans here, who the, who has the rowdiest fans here. Like you can see from the Jello Shot Challenge, like it's not that close. So, um, yeah, it, it's really been interesting. It's really been cool to see, and um, I'm really interested to see like how many, how many more LSU fans come up just for this weekend for this series, right? Because it's a weekend. They don't oh, there, spend there's quite been a lot of money as some of these other fans who've been here for the whole week, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, um, really excited to see how many more people, uh, show up to this thing and media too. <laughs> I have, I have seen many tweets and Facebook posts about people getting in their cars at four o'clock this morning to, to drive up to Omaha <laughs> to be there for the game tomorrow. So if it's been crazy all week, it's about to get a whole lot crazier. Cookie Riley of the daily advertiser joining us here on crunch time looking ahead to this championship series now uh you know one guy that i'm really looking to kind of break out of a slump is jordan thompson i mean one for 21 at the plate so far in the college world series 
He knows he has to be better. The fan base knows he has to be better. What's it going to take for Jordan Thompson to contribute more at the plate? Ooh, what's it going to? What adjustments he needs to make is tough because he needs to make adjustments for a lot of different things. I mean, he's not seen the ball well at all, obviously, and it, he's had trouble with breaking balls for a lot of this season, and, and that's, that has continued um, even worse into this in, into this postseason. He's not really really barreling up the ball really at all. I think there was one at bat where he had a couple of balls down the um, down the left field line that looked like they could potentially be doubles and get him out of that slump, but they just landed foul. Uh, that's really the only signs of life we've seen from him. And he's not swinging at good pitches. He's not barreling up the ball even. So it's not like he's, you know, hitting his outs at all. He's not doing that. It's, we contact or strikeouts pretty much every single time, and he looks over. He looked overmatched, especially against Wake Forest. And um, oh, what's it going to take? It's it's going to it's going to take a, a like a full overhaul from what we've seen so far. You know, there's so many different things that he needs to improve on at the plate. Um, they're small things, but they certainly add up, and they add up to this uh, really really cold streak that he has going on right now and I mean I, I mean obviously LSU's offense just hasn't been as good as, as, as in this college world series um, large part because of the wind and large part because Wake Forest and Tennessee have great pitching staffs um, combine those two things and you get you know five runs here maybe and two runs there and a shutout and, you know and, and you know, two runs three runs here right so it hasn't been easy for anyone offensively but um, I think Jordan has out of all the regular starters he has struggled the most by far now, we talked all week about the potential of a Rhett Lauder-Paul Skeens matchup last night, and we got it, and it lived up to the billing. This weekend, you're looking at a Dylan Cruz-Jack Coglione championship series. Could this be the best offense versus offense matchup we've seen? Um, in terms of what... In terms of possible offense versus offense matchups, it's hard to find a better one in the country, right? Because I think these two teams are pretty similar in terms of, you know, they got big, big arm starters with pro potential, um, not a ton of pitching depth, and superstars in their lineup, right? Uh, let's think of Tommy White and Dylan Cruz for LSU. Let's think of Jack Taglione and Wyatt Lankford for Florida. I mean, Cruz and Lankford might, might go one, two in the draft. Um, and they're going to be on the field at the same time here. So that's, that's going to be extremely exciting to watch. And uh, We've been waiting for this matchup for a while, and it's strange that it hasn't happened since these two teams are obviously in the same conference, but um, it's going to happen here in Omaha in this big ballpark and, this, and a lot of wind here. Um, I'm telling you, the wind here is plays such a factor in all of this. Um, so I don't think there's actually going to be a ton of offense in this series, even though – there are a lot of great offensive players, and the offense is there's more talent on the offensive side of the ball than um, in with the than with either these teams pitching staffs. So, um, yeah, like I, that's that's kind of how what I'm what I'm feeling uh, when it comes to this series. All right, now uh, I'm gonna ask you the the prototypical baseball analyst question: <laughs> Who or what? Is the X factor, and who wins the series? I think uh, the answer to your first question about the X factor. I think it is, and I, and I just wrote about this for a story I just submitted. Um, I, I think it's Florida's bullpen, and you know, it's, it's Brandon Neely, 
Um, it's it's guys like that. They've only gone to three different. They've, they, Florida's only played three games in this college world series. So that's part of the reason why they've done this, obviously. But Florida's only thrown three relievers in in Omaha, um, which is kind of wild if you think about it. And uh, those three combined have an ERA of, uh, I believe, around five. And um, I, I, I head into this head into this game thinking that this series, thinking that if those three guys. Uh, Neely in particular, since he's kind of like their closer, um, perform up the stand are really, really good and kind of shut down this LSU offense. It's going to be tough for, tough for LSU to score runs because you're already facing Waldrop and you already have to beat Waldrop or Sprout at least once to win this series. And, um, it's, and it, it, and, you know, that, that's not easy on its own. So, um, you need to get, be able to get to this team's bullpen and to get into the depth of this team's bullpen, which is just not very good. So it, if you can hit those guys around and sort of get into the underbelly of their bullpen again, like I've said, then I, I think LSU wins the series. Um, but if they have trouble hitting against those guys, then I think Florida has the advantage. So um, you know, that, that's going to be really, really fascinating. And, and, uh, and just for a prediction, though, I, I'm, I'm picking LSU. And I, I just think LSU has the better pitching depth right now. They've, they've at least had the chance. Maybe, maybe Florida w- would have shown that if, they've actually, if they had actually played more games here in Omaha. But through the five games, it's been really impressive to see guys like Griffin Herring and guys like Nate Ackenhausen just step up and give them you know four, five, six innings, um, I, I guess, out of the bullpen, even though Ackenhausen started. But you know what I mean. Uh, I think that's been extremely impressive, and they pitch so well to this ballpark. With a, a lot of these guys are high fastball, uh, high spin rate guys, and just work so well because fly balls net, do not leave the park here. Right. So um, that's a huge factor, and it's why their pitch, their depth, pitching depth, I think, has just been a lot better. And I think offensively, LSU is just a little bit deeper and a little bit better than Florida is. Um, Kate Curlin struggled at the top of their order uh, for Florida. And I think Jack Taglione is a, is a very talented player, but he's not the most consistent guy. He strikes out a lot. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. I think LSU's line is a little better, and I think their pitching depth is better, even if Florida has the advantage with you know rest days and um, uh, just having all their starters available, especially with LSU being without teams. Um, probably without skiing. I, I do think if there was a game three and they needed an inning or two in the, in the ninth, that they could go to him. But I, a game three, I, 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 I think that's what I said. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's kind of what I'm feeling uh, for the series. I'll assume great. Cookie Riley of the Daily Advertiser joining us here on Crunch Time from Omaha. Cookie, appreciate your time, man. Have a great weekend at the ballpark, and uh, we'll see you soon. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on, guys. And there he goes, Cookie Riley of the Daily Advertiser. We'll take a timeout, wrap up hour number one right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The LSU Tigers will take on the Florida Gators in the College World Series Championship Series. Pre-game for Saturday's Game 1 begins at 530 and first pitch is set for 6 o'clock. And the action is brought to you right here on the game by the following sponsors. Artco Equipment. Arsenal Machine Supply, Bubba Oslet Toyota Ford, Cypress Bayou Casino, Iggy Castile State Farm, Attorney Paul Brown, The Bank, Service Chevrolet Cadillac, Beal and A Bear, and Tips Trailers. 
Welcome back to Crunch Time. We're wrapping up our number one here from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. A little bit interesting news. You all know the famous movie with Adam Sandler, Happy Gilmore. Well, there's actually a golfer named Happy Gilmore at Indiana High School. He's going to be committed to playing college ball at Ball State. The fact that somebody loved Happy Gilmore that much to name so their child much that. that they named their child Happy Gilmore and got him into playing golf. Incredible. And then another thing is with the MLB, they're starting to do like an international series, like how the NFL is mm-hmm. and what the NBA used to do. Do a London series. They converted a soccer stadium to be able to handle baseball and we got a drone view of going through the locker rooms and stuff, and I'll be honest, it's cool, but I feel like I'm getting motion sickness watching it, and I feel like I'm watching the beginning of the Johnny Depp version of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, the the, the scene where they show you how the, the chocolate's made. Yeah, like right at the beginning, works. I'm like, oh my god, I'm getting flashbacks. If you want to check out the drone video, it's about a minute and a half long, sharing it right now on the game's Twitter page, at the game. Louisiana, if you want to go check that out. Hour number one is in the books. Hour number two, the final hour of crunch time. We will bring you Jacob Rudner to preview the championship series from the Florida perspective and Jeff Nowak to talk about the newest Pelican in Jordan Hawkins. We'll do that next here on the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour number two of Crunch Time here on the game, Southwest Louisiana sports station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. And it just sunk in that that's the last time I'm ever going to hear that intro. Wow. Okay. Matt Miguez, James Mesh inside the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. I will not be sad. I will not. You will be. I will be, but not right now. Look, in hour number one, we talked about LSU capturing a spot in the College World Series Championship Series against the Florida Gators. We'll get a preview from the Florida Gators perspective here in a bit. But right now, let's talk about the New Orleans Pelicans. Drafting Jordan Hawkins last night out of the University of Connecticut. He is a 6'5 guard who averaged who, who shot 39% from downtown and averaged 6 point, 16.2 points per game last season with the national champions. Great. Great numbers. Fills a need for the Pelicans. Fantastic, right? This is where it gets even cooler. His cousin? Well, that's Angel Reese of Kim Mulkey's LSU women's basketball team. They are now 80 miles apart. Oh, and did I mention that Angel Reese tagged the Pelicans in a tweet about four hours before the draft last night? And said, get right tonight with Go Live 23. That's Jordan's Twitter handle. You will be getting a killer. Pelicans listened. 
Now, will it work? Because, and here's what I mean. I'm not, I'm not saying that Jordan Hawkins is not a good player. The issue is, you look at a guy like Kyra Lewis Jr., who was drafted 13th overall in 2020. You look at a guy like Dyson Daniels, who was drafted 8th overall last year. Now, with Kyra, he had some leg injuries to deal with in his rookie season. He tore his ACL, you know, he had a setback, so on and so forth. But now that he's, even now that he's healthy, James, he doesn't play. He doesn't see the floor. I think he averaged five minutes a game last year. And then Dyson, I mean, Dyson averaged more point, more more time than that, but not a lot more. No, and it's the same thing what we've seen for since Willie Green has become the coach of the Pelicans. You don't really see your rookies play a lot of time because you didn't see it last year with Dyson Daniels. And we didn't start seeing Trey Murphy actually get some minutes until this year because the previous year, his rookie year, we barely saw him. Kyra averaged nine minutes a game last year. Nine. He only played, he only appeared in 25 games. Felt like nine more than he actually played. So th- these young these young guards are not getting used. I- I'm worried that it'll be the same with Jordan Hawkins. Unless he truly shows this coaching staff, like, look, I can do this. I can be that off-ball guard that, you know, knocks down four threes a game for you. Like, I can be that guy. If that's the case, then great. But here's the problem. 40%, if he makes four a game, once you got to shoot 10? I don't want my off-ball guard shooting four for 10 every night. I'm asking for... Two and a half to three. Right. Realistically. Like if, if you're shooting, if you're making two out of three and shooting seven threes. I can live with that. I'm I'm, I'm fine with that. I can live with that. So I, I'm just curious as to whether or not he's actually going to see playing time. Because everybody, everybody loved Dyson Daniels. Such a talented scorer, such a good defender. He spent time in the G League, so his game's going to be more, you know, on par with the NBA, blah, blah, blah. And then Cat barely played. So is it going to be more of the same? Is my worry. Another move that the Pelicans made that kind of went under the radar. They reached an undrafted free agent deal with Vanderbilt center Liam Robbins. Now, you might remember Liam Robbins being the SEC Defensive Player of the Year this past year with the Commodores. James, that is a sneaky good move for Trajan Langdon, David Griffin, and the Pelicans because now you have Jonas Valanciunas, but let's be honest, you haven't really used JV correctly. Since he arrived in New Orleans. But now, you won't feel so entitled to keep him, I guess. Because now what you have is you have a a young center that JV can kind of mold and teach and show the ropes. And he can develop. And then when JV's contract ends, you can just be like, look man, we appreciate your time. But we don't need you anymore. Which is next year. Right. Exactly. In 2024. So exactly. at that point, you either, if you feel like you've got enough 
out of him teaching the young center and you could have him play minutes or maybe you just play a lot of small ball at the trade deadline. Yep. You trade JV and you can move get something out deadline. of it. Yep, absolutely. Uh, so interested to see what the Pelicans will do with those moves as well. Top pick, are, are we surprised that it was Victor Wembanyama? No. However, what I am surprised about is the fact that Brandon Miller actually went number two. Because this was a, a thing where you looked at it, it was Brandon, it was Scoot Henderson for the longest time, and then Brandon Miller kind of made some noise. You know, maybe he could be the guy. And then yesterday, you and I talked about it, James. There was widespread thought, especially in Vegas, that Scoot Henderson had made all kinds of traction to be in the number two pick. All right. I was like, okay, with it. I mean, we saw this last year where there was a surge last minute, and that's where it ended up going. So it's like you kind of felt like, well, it's same thing again. So I guess we'll just see Scoot as number two, and then you'll see Brandon Miller number three. How wild is it? When is the last time that twins got drafted four and five? Right. That's that's insane. There's there's way too much talent in that gene pool. Amon's always going to hold it over his brother, though. Probably. I win one pick ahead of you. I, I got picked before you. <laughs> but what situation's worse? Houston or Detroit? Now, don't get me wrong. Detroit, I'm not saying that Detroit is good. However, Detroit's potential, in my opinion, looks better than Houston's. Absolutely. I mean, I like Jalen Green, but it's the same way with both of them. I think they're both a lot of potential because you got a lot of young talent on your team. But who's actually going to get a veteran presence in someone that's got championship experience? Because that's the difference between you having a talented team or a good team or a championship-level team yep. is, do you have guys that are veterans and guys that are veterans and have championship experience? Yeah, I, I like the situation in Detroit a lot better than the situation in in Houston right now uh, because, you know, obviously, Kate Cunningham, you have a guy who has become a veteran in James Wiseman, Jaden Ivey, obviously, uh, Bojan Bogdanovich. You've got... Like like you just said, you have a good mix of vets and a good mix of young guys. And the future looks very bright for the Pistons if they can figure out the coaching staff. Absolutely. If you can get it all together, that's a team that's going to be scary in the East. So, And it, it'll be a lot easier for them because they're in the East compared to it's so top-heavy, but... Even the guys at the bottom of the West, like you saw it with the Pelicans. Like the Thunder are going to be a surging team. Yeah. The Pelicans, if they can not be injured 25-8, they were, they were number one in the West. 25-8. So it's like, I mean, the West, it's so, it's so much more difficult. So seeing the Trailblazers who refuse to get rid of Dame and Dame refuses to leave Portland and then having the Rockets at the bottom, it's like, it's going to be a lot more difficult. It's going to be a lot more difficult for you as a Rockets team to project yourself compared to the Pistons. Some Houston Astros news. They have acquired Spencer Hawkins 
a 30-year-old right-handed pitcher from the Baltimore Orioles. They've also brought up Bly Madris again and have moved both Jose Urquidy and Michael Brantley to the 60-day IL. Of course, this is retroactive, so what that means is Brantley's still on the same timeline that he's been on, although nobody's really sure what that timeline is. Uh, But, you know, now what that's done is that just frees up roster spots for the Astros by moving those guys to the IL. Uh, That frees up an opportunity for them to call up somebody else or, you know, go acquire somebody at the deadline. There have been some swirlings that Jace Peterson, Lake Charles native and current member of the Oakland Athletics, could be getting moved at the trade deadline. That would be interesting to see how how that plays out. Granted, he's a he's an older guy. He's thirty three years old. Um, so this is this obviously wouldn't be a long term move for the Houston Astros. But the trade deadline is about a month away now. So you're gonna start looking at, at different possibilities. Teams are gonna start looking at whether they're going to be buying talent or whether they're going whether they're going to be selling the talent that they have. Uh, and I have read multiple reports that say the Oakland A's are going to be sellers. And I honestly can't say that I blame them. Look, we're moving to Vegas. Let's just blow the whole thing up and start over. It honestly doesn't sound like a bad plan um, because they're trash anyway. I also just wonder, other than just the newness of, hey, we have a baseball team in Vegas. What would be the reason to kind of go? It was kind of like the same thing with the Raiders when they first went. That's why they went and traded to go get Antonio Brown before that. Yeah, that too. So it's like even though Antonio Brown didn't work out, like you feel like you want to try and get at least a couple of guys that you could have. It's it's like the same thing with Russell Westbrook and the Wizards. Like outside of Kyle Kuzma and Kristaps, it's like let's get – we got Westbrook now to help sell tickets. Yep. For sure. So if you can get like at least a guy that has a big name and but I mean, is, but I mean, how? I mean, it's true. How you're 19 and 58. Who 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 are you attracting to that? You're certainly not getting anything done in free agency. It's definitely a different situation than it was with the Raiders. Ooh. But it's like I f- I don't blame them at all. Like if anything, it's probably the best long term move to blow it up and try and start over especially since you're starting over in a new place anyway. But I'm thinking it's like if you want to try and get some ticket sales up, at least have one guy where you're like, this guy just name-wise could get us extra tickets in the seat, extra butts in the seats. You know what's crazy? You you listen to a record like 19 and 58 and go, oh my God, they're the worst team in baseball and it's probably not even close. Try um, again. <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually closer than you think. The Kansas City Royals are only 21 and 54. So... At least they got the Chiefs. They are not far behind. But here's the thing, though. That AL Central, that's a terrible division. The Minnesota Twins lead that division with a 500 record. Everybody else has a losing record. That is a terrible, terrible division. Um, the AL East is on fire this year. Everybody has a winning record in the AL East. Um, the AL West, the Astros, five and a half games back now of the Texas Rangers. And the Hot Atlanta Braves... Well, they're very hot. Winners of their last eight, 48 and 26 so far on the season. And who in the hell are the Cincinnati Reds? 11 straight wins. 
They're sitting at 40 and 35 on the season, and they have a one and a half game lead on the AL Central. They have been very impressive. Ellie De La Cruz is an absolute monster. Now they have Joey Votto back. So the sky might be the limit in Chili Town. I don't know why I called it Chili Town. Everybody thinks the skyline Chili when you think of Cincinnati. I don't know. Anyways, we'll take a timeout. 516. When we return, Jacob Rudner joins us to talk LSU in Florida. And then after that, Jeff Nowak joins us to talk Jordan Hawkins, the newest member of the New Orleans Pelicans. And then, final segment of this second hour, we will say our goodbyes right here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There will be a benefit performance held this Sunday for Grammy Award-winning Louisiana bass player Lee Alanzino of the famed Zydeco band Buckwheat Zydeco. The show will be held from 1 to 7 at the Showbox on 2431 West Congress Street in Lafayette. The cost is $10 at the door, and the funds raised will help pay for the cost of repairs to Zeno's house to make it livable once again. So come out this Sunday for a concert for Lee and listen to some great music for a great cause. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Oh, thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. 521. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Here inside the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette, LSU and Florida will battle for a national championship beginning tomorrow evening, 6 o'clock first pitch. Pre-game is at 5.30 right here on the game, courtesy of the LSU Sports Radio Network. Jacob Rudner of 247 Sports, he covers the Florida Gators, is in Omaha for the championship series. Good afternoon, Jacob. How are you, my friend? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Uh, doing well, man. Doing well. So... When you look at this Florida Gators team, 53-15, and 15, they went 20-10 and 10 in the SEC, obviously led by Wyatt Lankford and Jack Coglione. Now to be in the championship series, which was a spot where Florida was kind of talked about since the beginning as a team of, hey, you know, look out for the Gators. They might be able to make some noise here. Uh, just kind of talk about this season and Florida being in this spot. Yeah, I mean, I, you said it. I don't know that it's really a surprise necessarily to see Florida having this kind of success. Uh, this is a group that was as talented as any uh, from the jump. You mentioned Jack Caglione was a guy uh, who we knew coming into the year was really going to make a splash as a two-way player. Uh, Wyatt Langford, who you mentioned as well, was a guy who has long been projected to be a, a top-round pick uh, this year for the MLB. Uh, starting pitching was a real strength. Brandon Sprout, Hurston Waldrip uh, are two guys who are, you know, first round picks or just outside the first round for this upcoming MLB draft as well. And so I think the expectations were, were reasonably high coming into the year in Gainesville. Uh, and this is a team that has really just delivered. And so for me, uh, it's not really a surprise to see Florida here in the national championship. I really do believe that this is where this team belongs. Talk about Kevin O'Sullivan as the head coach and kind of the job that he's done with this program, you know, kind of, kind of keeping them as a national power in college baseball. Yeah, Kevin O'Sullivan has this down to a science. It is formulaic at this point. He knows how to build a team. 
he knows what is required in order to be successful after you assemble a good group. And, and you know, I'll note that Florida is, despite playing in the national championship, actively doing a great job of recruiting the transfer portal for next year's team. So this is a guy uh, who really understands roster construction uh, and what needs to happen in order to be successful, not only in the SEC, but on a national scale. And we're seeing the byproduct of that. He is a, a legendary coach, in my opinion. Uh, this is his second opportunity now to win a national championship. He's been to Omaha more than any other coach in the country over the last 15 years. Uh, and, and there's really no denying his success. And so uh, this, is, this is just kind of the fruits of his labor over now a decade and a half. Now, you talked about his first national championship back in 2017. Uh, obviously, everybody knows that that was against the LSU Tigers. Uh, that's the last time that LSU was in the championship series as well. Just kind of talk about this matchup between LSU and Florida and maybe if there's something Kevin O'Sullivan may be taking away from 2017. Yeah, sure. I, I, look, I think that this is a, a battle of two heavyweights. LSU, uh, in the same vein as Florida, there really is no denying talent there. Paul Skeens, Dylan Cruz uh, are two of the best baseball players, if not the best two baseball players in the country right now. Uh, Wyatt Langford, probably the third uh, and so this is really a, a, a clash of titans. LSU is in, a, in an amazing position. They're coming off a phenomenal win over Wake Forest just to advance to the national championship. Uh, and, and as it relates to 2017, Kevin O'Sullivan said today during his media day press conference that the biggest takeaway for him was really learning that the Gators need to play their own game against LSU. You can't let you know the, the caliber of the team get to you. You can't let the amount of fans that will show up as we've seen now throughout the, the last week and a half in Omaha, you can't let the amount of fans that show up to support LSU get to you. You have to find a way to use that to your advantage. And he mentioned that was something that Florida did in 2017. And first base coach for the Gators now, Mike Rivera, was the starting catcher on that team. And, and Kevin O'Sullivan has said in no uncertain terms that he's hoping a guy like Rivera can help the team now understand these things and, and, and get past the challenge that is playing LSU uh, and, and, and all that comes with it. And so I think that Florida does have uh, a lot to take away from that 17 series, and the people who were a part of that are still with the team now. When you have a guy like Wyatt Langford and Jack Coglione, you know, LSU has, has their own dynamic duo, just from an offensive standpoint with Tommy White and Dylan Cruz, and then you throw in Paul Skeens, and then you talk about Coglione from a pitching perspective, uh, kind of the Shohei Otani of college baseball, if you will. The star power that's going to be at Charles Schwab Field this weekend is is probably nothing we've ever seen before, right? I think there's no question. I, I, I personally can't remember the last time there was a College World Series in which likely the top three picks in the upcoming MLB draft will be facing off against each other. I would say that it's now very likely that we see an order of Cruz, Schemes, Langford at the top of this upcoming draft in just a couple of weeks. Uh, and, and, and again, I, I am hard-pressed to remember the last time, if ever, that that happened. And, and I think that it's easy to get lost in the fact uh, that those three guys are here because the talent beyond them is, is really impressive as well. Uh, like I said earlier, Brandon Sprout and Hurston Waldrop are borderline first-round picks. Uh, Trey Morgan is a guy who's going to go on to have a great professional career. Both head coaches raved about him today. Uh, Tommy White is a guy who next year I think is going to be in consideration for some top draft status. He's super talented. Jack Caglione is another guy who I think is a, is a candidate to be a first overall pick. 
Uh, this is truly one of the most star-studded College World Series ever. And, and I think that, you know, it's also to be said, we've seen a great College World Series beyond just these two teams as well. Wake Forest has all the talent in the world, and they're very exciting to watch. Uh, Virginia has a couple first-round picks on its roster. TCU has a first-round pick on its roster. And so uh, this, this has been a really special College World Series, and it's going to culminate with a really fitting matchup, in my opinion, in that regard. Jacob Rudner of 247 Sports joining us here on Crunch Time. Now from Florida's perspective, they haven't played since Wednesday afternoon. They're going to be very well-rested come tomorrow night in, in Omaha. Do you think that that plays an advantage for them, or, or could it be a disadvantage that, that maybe they've gotten a little too rusty, a little too tight? Yeah, it's a great question. Kevin O'Sullivan today uh, made it very clear that that's a double-edged sword. The, the rest is great because it, it allows Florida's bullpen to be in a better position than it arguably would have been had it had to play four consecutive days. But at the same time, sitting around and watching teams as they gather momentum, like LSU has been able to do, over the last couple of days, doesn't help you. Uh, LSU is coming off a, a storybook-style win. It's a win that I think LSU fans will talk about for years to come, really regardless of the results of this College World Series. For sure. And that generates momentum. You know, LSU's players today said that they're still kind of coming off of the high of that win last night, and that benefits you. And so I think that Florida will have to be careful to not allow its rest to kind of get the best of it, if that makes sense. You, you can't allow... Uh, you know, yourself to become complacent because you are still facing a team, tired as they may be, that is supremely talented like we've talked about. So, you know, I, I think it's, it's beneficial to a degree, but I think it can also hurt you as well, and Florida needs to do its best to avoid that. What's it going to take for Florida to lift the national championship trophy this weekend? It, it all comes down to me, uh, and I think that that can be said for both teams. Florida is a supremely talented group. Uh, they can hit with any team in the country, as can LSU. Uh, and, and it's going to come down to how well this Florida pitching staff can shut down the Tigers. Uh, Brandon Sprout is going to go on Friday, he or Saturday, excuse me. Uh, he is on a run right now of four consecutive quality starts. It's the best form he's been in all year. Can he maintain that? Person Waldrop has struck out 37 batters over his last 21 innings and allowed two earned runs in that stretch. Will that continue against the most potent lineup he's faced all season? And then that third starter spot, if it's necessary, who does Florida turn to? Is it Jack Caglione again? Or do they seem to want to, you know, maybe go in a direction with a bullpen pitcher because Caglione becomes necessary at some point out of the pen in the first two games? And so uh, I, I think how Florida handles its pitching and as well as how they perform will really go a long way, if not the whole way, in determining how this ends up. Before I let you run, Jacob, if you had to narrow it down to one X factor for the Gators, who or what would it be and who wins the series? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with the, the same line in the, in the last question, and I'm going to stick with pitching. Uh, I'm going to go with Hurston Waldrip on that Saturday game. Uh, if Florida wins on, on Saturday, I think that Hurston Waldrip on Sunday could go a long way in determining whether or not they win the whole thing. I think he's the kind of guy who could shut the whole series down. If Florida loses the first game of the series, he has been the guy lately who has really given Florida life when it isn't at its best. He saved Florida in the regional round against UConn with an absolute career performance. He was tremendous in his opening performance here in Omaha. Uh, and so I think that he could be the key to determining whether or not Florida is able to win the whole thing. And as far as the prediction goes, I think we see three full games, uh, and I think the Gators are going to end up taking it. Jacob Rudner of 247 Sports. 
joining us here on Crunch Time. Jacob, really appreciate your time and enjoy the series this weekend, my friend. Thanks, guys. Always good talking to you. And there he goes, Jacob Rudner of 247 Sports. Take a time out. Jeff Nowak of WWL down in New Orleans. He joins us to talk about Jordan Hawkins, the newest member of the New Orleans Pelicans. They could debate who should win the MVP, but they'd rather argue who has the best hair in sports talk radio. We should wash the hair. You know, I work on my hair a long time, and you, and you hit it. It hits my hair. Now back to more of the stylish crunch time with Miguez and Mash here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time 536. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The Pelicans selected Jordan Hawkins out of UConn last night with the 14th overall pick to talk about what he means to the Pelicans and also the storyline of the fact that he's Angel Reese's cousin. Jeff Nowak of WWL in New Orleans joins us on the game hotline. Jeff, good afternoon, my friend. How are you? I'm doing good, man. How about you? Uh, Doing well, man. Thanks for asking. So, Look, you know, I, I know that you've covered UConn in, in the past, and now you're in New Orleans, so you're very familiar with, with Jordan Hawkins and the UConn basketball program. Just kind of talk about Jordan Hawkins, the player, and and the guy that the Pelicans acquired last night. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of a unique situation. So I grew up about 20 minutes away from, from UConn's campus, and I actually did cover them for a little while back when I – first graduated college but since then i haven't really covered them but i've always been a huge fan right so it's kind of world beating world and i'm gonna have to tone back my fanhood a little bit (laughs) as i actually cover him as a pelicans player now but i've watched i would guess uh 98 of his college career over the last two years and one thing that jordan hawkins brings to the pelicans that i say they haven't really had especially off the bench has been since JJ Redick probably is a guy who can run into a shot, catch the ball, go up balanced, and make it. You know, you just haven't seen that type of movement shooting. CJ McCollum does it, but I've never considered him to be a great kind of off ball. Like he's a good on ball player. I don't know if he's a great off ball mover at this point in his career um, to to generate those shots. And when you watch him shoot, you know you can get t- caught up in a lot of statistics. Oh, this guy shot 40%. This guy shot 35%. When you're seeing a guy come out of college, so much of it is just like, look at his jump shot. Look how how it looks coming out of his hand, how confident he is. Because there are guys who will shoot a decent percentage and they'll get to the NBA and they'll be decent catch-and-shoot guys. But then there are these guys who you watch shoot and you know like it's only a matter of time before he hits five in a row and changes the game. Uh, and he's one of those players. Um, he's just a fun guy to watch. Uh, he had a really big jump from his freshman season to his sophomore season. I think it was Ray Allen who kind of said, UConn is basically the basketball lab. It's literally a school that is in a cow pasture in stores, Connecticut. There is nothing to do but play basketball there if you're going there to play basketball. And I think that's the development you saw year over year from him. And I I mean, I'm excited. I think he's going to fit the Pelicans what they need really well. And I'm glad they ended up with him. How cool is it going to be for his rookie season to know that he's 75 miles away from his cousin, Angel Reese? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. I never even knew that as a as a storyline until Angel brought it up um, during the NCAA tournament run this year. So, yeah, I mean, she, I know she was lobbying for, for Jordan to get picked. They obviously ran into each other at the White House uh, a couple 
months back, right? So <laughs> they've had some equally impressive seasons. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a cool storyline for sure. And I think the I think the Pelicans are gonna are gonna benefit from it um, to some extent in terms of just interest level around that pick. One of the things that I think has been a struggle for the Pelicans this past season and and you know in the past couple seasons is when Zion's not on the court, it's really hard to sell this team as something you should get excited about, right? I mean, it's for just sure. a tough a tough sales pitch when you know what should be out there and what is not. Um, and so hopefully they can build on a lot of that this year. Jeff Nowak of WWL joining us here on Crunch Time. Now, one thing I've noticed with the Pelicans over the last couple of years, and I brought this up earlier in the show, Kyra Lewis Jr. got drafted in 2020. You drafted Dyson mm-hmm. Daniels last year. And to be honest, neither guy plays a whole lot. Um, could, could we see more of the same with Jordan Hawkins? Like, what what's the deal with those young, talented guards not getting a whole lot of minutes? Well, I mean, I, you know, I think Dyson got a decent amount of run last year, and he was always a guy who you're going to work in. I would get, I would say, slowly when the roster was kind of stocked the way you hoped it would be. As injuries crept in, you saw Dyson a lot more, and then he dealt with some injuries. Kyra has obviously dealt with. The ACL injury took a long time to come back from. I don't know if he was ever really 100% last year. He's kind of working his way back. But, yeah, I mean, rookies in the NBA are tough because you have to trust them to defend. There is no uh, offensive-only players. You can't, it's not baseball where you can hide someone in right field if he's a lackluster defender, right? Like, they've got to play both ends of the floor. And I think if Hawkins struggles to get on the floor this year, it's going to be because you can't trust him on the defensive side of the ball. He's athletic, but he is not – a great, you know, I think he needs to bulk up a little bit. I think he's going to struggle with some of the bigger guards in the NBA, right? Um, and I think that's that's where you, as a rookie, that is your biggest learning curve is, you know, being able to stay out of the way on offense at times, and then being able to defend one through one through three. I think if you're Hawkins, right? I think Dyson could probably defend one through four because um, this is a switching game. It is a pick and roll game, right? And you have to be able to switch and defend uh, and. I think that's one of the struggles. Dyson is kind of interesting because he's a he's a point guard in a shooting guard's body, and then you have Hawkins, who I would argue is a shooting guard in a point guard's body. You know, I don't think he has the size that you'd really want to for a prototypical two. Like you look at a guy like Jalen Brown, who you know his size allows him to kind of play and defend at an NBA level while he got better, and now he's obviously you know an All NBA type guy. Uh, I think that's going to make it a little difficult. So you're going to want to model your game if you're Jordan Hawkins after maybe a J.J. Redick. You know, he needs to improve his handle. To You know, you look at a guy like Steph Curry. If Steph Curry isn't able to run that offense with the ball in his hands, he has a much harder time breaking into the NBA as a pure shooter. Um, and I think T.J. McCollum is a good guy to learn from if you're Jordan Hawkins because that kind of mid-range game that T.J. has is the reason that he's able to be the, the efficient elite scorer that he is. And that's what I would say is missing the most from Jordan's game. He can get to the rim. He can shoot it. He can step and hit the mid-range. But when you get into that kind of in-between area toward the rim, he doesn't really have a float game, at least not one that he's showcased. Um, so I think that's what's going to hold him back if he's not going to get a ton of minutes. But, you know, if, if the health doesn't hold up for Zion and Ingram again this season, you're probably going to be seeing more of Jordan Hawkins than you want to see. Uh, so I think it's kind of a it's kind of a catch twenty two there. You'd like everyone to be healthy, but um, we've we've learned the hard way that that's often not the case. 
Now, were you surprised last night to see, you know, after all the rumors that circulated of a of a move up by the Pelicans, were you, were you surprised to see them stay put at 14? No, I, I wasn't. Um, and the reason being, you know, even even as you kind of talk yourself into a trade, the Pelicans are in a situation where they have a lot of assets that they really like, and you when you're when you're dealing with that in the NBA marketplace. You know, if you're the Lakers, you can steal Rui Hachimura for nothing because you have nothing to trade. Like, the other team wants to get something, and they're the team that's buying, and so they're going to ask for what you have. Well, the Pelicans have a ton, so other teams are going to come in, and they won't settle for, you know, the, the pennies that the Lakers shipped out to get a player that helped them reach the Western Conference Finals, right? They're going to be asking for the house. They're going to be saying, okay, you want to move up to two? Give us Zion, give us Ingram, give us all your first-round picks. And I just, you know, at the end of the day, you look at this team and they do believe that with Zion and Ingram healthy, they can be a contender in the Western Conference. And breaking it down for an unproven rookie just was never going to make sense. Um, I think if you're the the Hornets, you were really trying to entice them into Scoot Henderson because you knew you weren't picking them. You were always in on Brandon Miller. And so to me, I think it was that was more a generation of, the Hornets trying to speak a Zion trade into existence and anything else. So to me, I, you know, you were kind of were sitting on pins and needles waiting for the shoe to drop, but at the end it made the most sense for them to just sit and run it back with this core. You have Zion entering the first year of a massive deal. You have to, you owe it to yourself and your fans to see if you can bring a title contending team out of this roster. So to me, I wasn't surprised. I was surprised they went with Hawkins just because I thought that pick made a lot of sense, but in my head, as kind of the fangirling uh, right. UConn fan, I was like, oh, that's just me. But apparently they felt the same way because his shot profile is unique as coming out of the college level. Like I've said this several times. He's the best shooter in college basketball last year. Percentages might not, might not say that, but go watch a game and, yeah, you'll, you'll see it really fast. If the Pelicans can stay healthy with Zion and B.I. and others, you know, what, what does their season look like this year? Oh, it's so hard. I mean – yeah, I mean, you look at the first, you know, whatever game, how many games Zion played 29 games this season. They were a top three team in the West, right? Like the peak of this past season. I remember watching this game vividly. I think Jose Alvarado had 30 points. They beat the Nuggets. And they were either first or second in the West at that point. They might have been tied for first. And you were looking at this team like, man, they could be a contender. This could be a Western Conference Finals team. I don't know if, you, you know, when you're in that kind of first playoff run with a young team, it's always tough to kind of get over that hump. I think the Mavericks learned that the hard way. Um, and, you know, if you have the healthy B.I. and a healthy Zion, you don't go through that 11-game skid midway through the season, I, I think you are a top-five team, and you do avoid the play-in, and you just get to give yourself a full chance at a playoff series where you're not playing the one seed, and you're not coming off of these intense playing games where you're already at a disadvantage from a rest perspective. Um, we'll never know what that would have looked like. But at the end of the day, if you didn't have Zion, even if you got in as the five seed, you would be playing at a, at a deficit. So, I mean, I, I, it's, it's tough. At this point, you have to question, can Zion be a 60-game player? I don't need him to be an 82-game player. I don't need right. him to be a 70-game right. player. I just need him to show up for more than half the season and be available in the playoffs. For sure. And if you can do that, I think they have a chance to beat you know, some of these top Western Conference teams in a seven-game series. But, you know, even even just looking at it and saying, man, a seven-game series, could Zion survive? I don't know. It's, it's tough. So 
that's kind of where the Pelicans are at right now. If you can find a way to keep Zion healthy and get through an entire season, you know, I think you do have a team that can contend. If you can't, then I think you have to kind of, I don't know if tear it down is the right way to, to look at it, but I think you have to reevaluate the timeline with your current core of players. Jeff Nowak of WWL in New Orleans joining us here on Crunch Time. Jeff, appreciate your time as always, uh, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. For sure, man. Thanks for having me on. And there he goes, Jeff Nowak of WWL. We'll take our final timeout. We'll wrap it all up next. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The St. Landry Fire District number 5 is looking for volunteer firefighters. You must be 18 years or older to apply. All training and equipment is paid for by the district. This is a great starter program to get into fire service and an even better way to get involved in your community. If interested to in, in, if interested in being a volunteer firefighter, please call Jim at 337-278-2468. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Wrapping up today's show right here on 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, LSU in Florida. Again, we've talked about it all day long. Championship series gets underway tomorrow. Of course, you can hear it on the game. Pre-game 530, first pitch at 6 o'clock. James, since you and I won't be able to talk about it, give me your thoughts on the series and who wins the national championship. I think it comes down to three games. I think Florida is able to take either game one or game two. I feel like it would be game one since they've had the rest. But game two and three, it's going to ignite and fire and be like, hey, back against the wall once again. We've seen it before with LSU. I think ultimately the Tigers are able to win it in three, and we see Paul Skeens one last time. The 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 fact that Paul Skeens' career may not be done is wild to think. It's absolutely insane to think about after the performance that you saw last night. Look, I'm kind of with you. I, th- I think Florida takes game one just because of how well-rested they are. But LSU's offense is really going to you know, flip a switch in this series. They take game two. And, and then game three is interesting. How tired is LSU going to be by that point? Because that would be seven games in eight days. How tired are you going to be at that point? I think game three is going to be very interesting. I will say that LSU wins it, but I certainly would not be surprised if Florida won it all. Uh, It's one of those things. I I could see LSU winning it, but I certainly wouldn't be surprised if it went the other way around. So again, pregame at 530. First pitch is set for 6 o'clock, and you can hear it right here on the game. All right, James. Time to get sad. Turning over a new leaf starting on Monday. We will be. It's been fun, bud. It really has. It's been a lot of fun. All the jokes on and off the air. All all the shenanigans. All all the hell. um, The Miguez versus Mesh challenges. You constantly winning. (laughs) Um, 
It was but fun to go out on top. <laughs> <laughs> he said it's been fun to go out on top. Uh, Look, real, real quick. I just really want to say thank you. I want to thank Chuck Wood and RP3 for giving me this opportunity. I want to thank our new GM, Johnette Cochran, for continuing that belief in me. James, I want to thank you. Um, this does not happen without you. I mean, we, we joke that producers drive the ship, but it, it, it's 100% true. I might be the host of this show, but my mic doesn't get turned on without you. So thank you for everything you have done over the last year, almost year and a half. Uh, this has been an incredible ride. This job has changed my life, and I am looking forward to staying here in a new position here at Delta Media. First thing Monday morning, literally at midnight, we become ESPN 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. I want to thank our guests today, Koki Riley, Jacob Rudner, and Jeff Nowak for joining us. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. One final time, be safe, be well, give a hug to your mom and them. ESPN 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles is here first thing Monday morning. One final time is 1037 The Game. This is Matt Miguez saying we'll see you next time.